come boldly into your throne room. And Father, we just thank you for that. And Father, I ask that we'd all be filled with your spirit here, that um, we'd be able to just comprehend uh, the love that you have for us. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So this is always a good question to ask yourself. Why are we here tonight? (laughs) Uh, And I'd say uh, I have two thoughts. It's something that we do um, every week. Uh, We pray and we study the Bible. And those are good things. Um, When you do those things together, that's called fellowship. Uh, and so so we are here as a fellowship of believers. And so it's a good thing. Uh, if you come early, you can actually have uh, interaction with other believers. If you stay a little bit afterwards, uh, the same thing could happen. And uh, I think that's something that God wants us to do. Um, uh, I just keep being reminded of uh, uh, social media, and it's how everybody is so connected, but not really. And uh, people really don't talk to each other that much anymore. Uh, text messages, so many things can go wrong in 140 characters. Uh, so it's really kind of a good thing to actually connect with people on a human level. Uh, so, so that's part of fellowship. And when you come and you study the Bible together, whether it's here or at church on Sunday or at somebody's house at a home fellowship or just other believers. I think it's a, it's a really, a, it's an important thing to do. So uh, we, on the note of studying the Bible uh, in Romans, uh, in Romans it says, uh, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, uh, that you may with one mind and one mouth uh, glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this verse that basically talks about the Old Testament scriptures, uh, you know, why we do that. It says that the scriptures were written for our learning, if you're filling in the blanks, uh, that we may, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, have hope, uh, be like-minded, and the last one is glorify God. But wrapped up in that is kind of what we talked about, um, that that when we do this and we learn from the Old Testament scriptures uh, that we can be like-minded uh, towards one another. Okay. So uh, with that, I want to, we're going to go back and we're back in Genesis now and uh, Genesis chapter 25, starting at verse nine, 19. And we'll read at 19. It says, this is the genealogy of Isaac. Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as a wife, 
the daughter of Bethuel, the, the Syrian, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Uh, but the children struggle within her, and she said, if all is with me, why why am I like this? So uh, on number two there, it says that Isaac prayed to God that Rebecca would uh, get pregnant. Okay, so uh, if we look at First Thessalonians 5.16, um, uh, first of all, I want to go back to Genesis before we read this. This is, he says here, uh, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. Uh, actually, it says pleaded there, but most translations actually change that as uh, they use the, the word prayed. And so in First uh, Thessalonians uh, 5:16 and 18, it basically tells us exactly uh, what uh, Isaac did. He said, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. So I, that's what I get from when they, they couldn't decide whether to translate it as pray or, uh, or, or plead. So it's something that he was, I think he was praying without ceasing. And actually we know that it took 20 years for them to actually conceive after, uh, after they were married. And so, um, so we see an example of, uh, of uh, Isaac uh, praying, uh, to God that that Rebecca would get pregnant, and eventually she did. We know it took about twenty years. Uh, let's see, and then if you go back to uh, verse twenty-two uh, again, it says that uh, it says that but the children struggled within her, and she said, "If all is well, why am I like this?" So she went to inquire of the Lord. So number three is Rebecca was worried about her pregnancy and what did she do? She prayed, right? She prayed. And so um, she was worried about her pregnancy, so she prayed. And so there's another verse in uh, the New Testament, Philippians. I think we've probably covered this verse a million times, but it's something that is... uh, it's a very important verse. It says, um, it says, uh, be anxious for nothing. All right. In the, in the days of uh, all the anti, anti anxiety medications, it's out there. I mean, there's a, I think next to opiates, it's next on the list. Everybody is suffering from anxiety. And the God of the universe says, uh, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So it's kind of interesting that the the first two things that kind of popped out to me and uh, starting in this little lesson that we're going to do tonight was that first, Isaac prayed, and then Rebecca prayed. And uh, there's verses in the New Testament basically says we should be praying all the time. And then uh, and then don't be anxious 
right? She was obviously anxious. She's got some weird stuff going on in her uh, in her womb, and so she goes to God, and uh, uh, so she prays. And uh, this last weekend, we attended a, uh, a conference on uh, brain health. Uh, it was a it's a Christian based uh, conference, but it was it's so it's it's kind of the melding of Christianity and um, uh, science. And uh, the person that was doing it, uh, Caroline Leaf, uh, she's been involved in uh, studying brains. Uh, she for um, uh, brain injuries and that sort of thing for about thirty years now, and they've actually. Uh, you, you may have actually heard of uh, a term that's called uh, neuroplasticity, which means that the, basically that the brain is uh, malleable. Uh, what I never heard of before is, you know, we know about MRIs where they can kind of go through and do little slices and they can see what's going on inside your brain. Well, they've actually taken that technology to the next level where uh, it's possible now to see physically how memories are created inside of your brain uh i mean it was uh, truly amazing and this is done by your thoughts and your thoughts can actually cause physical change to happen inside your brain and uh also to your dna so yeah it was truly remarkable um that and they they can see a memory actually develop and they've kind of kind of got it down to a science where where if you say say you're going to memorize a verse and you work on it today and tomorrow and you work on it for about a week they can see inside the brain uh these little I don't even know how to describe it as a bunch of technical stuff but basically it was visual so I got it it starts off as a little round dot inside uh, these neurons inside your brain and then as you think about that thought over and over again, and then it, it, believe it or not, it turns into a little mushroom shape. And then at the end of like about 21 days, that'll actually turn into a little thing that looks like a tree inside your brain. So you can actually see this memory develop inside the brain. And so after 23 days, you've got so like what they call semi-long-term memory. Now, if you do three of these 21-day uh, uh uh, sessions, I guess, of trying to remember this, that you've got long-term memory and that little tree has grown into a bigger tree inside your brain. So it, the things that you put in there. And so, uh, and it's it's interesting because good thoughts have good effects on your brain and bad thoughts actually physically have bad effects on your brain. It was uh, uh, truly remarkable. And there's a special part of your brain that deals with prayer and worship. Prayer and worship are kind of in the same realm uh, that when you actually communicate with God through prayer, your brain puts off a completely different type of a brain wave. And they can look at this in real time. And uh, this prayer, uh, they've, they've just done studies on it, that prayer and worship can actually cause damaged uh, DNA to heal. So you can actually reverse things through uh, yeah, through worship and prayer and uh, 
thinking good thoughts. It was truly amazing. And so uh, it was just kind of like, like it's like a lot of times uh, when you're teaching and you're really studying the Bible, you start to run into uh, people that are they're kind of thinking the same thing and talking about the same stuff in the spiritual realm. And it's kind of like uh, we're all dipping from the same spiritual pool. And uh, so this gal was talking about stuff that's been really kind of heavy on my mind. Uh, it was quite a remarkable experience. But uh, so she talked about this. And, you know, I'm thinking in this terms of, okay, I'm going to talk on Wednesday. She's talking about the very things that I was thinking about. But she put a scientific, like, validation on it. I don't know how to even describe it. Uh, but I was getting, you know, kind of, chicken skin, uh, listening to this uh, person talk, but uh, is truly an amazing thing that you can actually see physical healing through prayer and uh, worship. So uh, with that, I wanted to, I wanted to read in James because I, I, I was tempted to just do everything on prayer this week, but I thought, well, we're in Genesis. We're going to do Genesis, but we're going to take a little diversion here. So, in James, James talks about this. He says, now think about this in light of uh, what do we call science that sort of proved what James is going to say here. He says, is, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Okay? He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Okay, psalms is, you know, is to worship. So he's basically saying, in this whole scientific way of looking at it, he's saying, okay, open that channel up, you know, and pray to God, you know, and if you're happy, open it up again, you know, and worship God. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This next is kind of interesting. He says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Do you catch that where we're talking about where prayer could actually cause a healing? Okay, so when I'm reading James, I read it through a little different lens here when he says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Okay. 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, if you think about that, you can read that verse uh, from a couple of different ways. I'll just, it's probably better if you just read it over and over a few times because I read it over and over a few times. And, you know, there's sometimes if you read a verse one way, it means one thing, you read another. But this could be working for, you're praying for healing for the other person, but actually he's saying, oh, and you will be healed. All right? Um, they brought up another thing there, that uh, people that are uh, depressed. And, uh, you know, I think, I don't know, a few months ago I was teaching on Sunday, and I came across some scripture, and we talked about if you're depressed, probably the best way to get out of depression is to do something for somebody else. In other words, take the focus off yourself and put it on someone else. So, so 
she goes, scientifically, she, she actually proved that, you know. When I was teaching it from the Bible, I was just like, this is obvious. This is what God wants us to do. But they can say, I mean, they put a number on it. They said, if, if you're people that are feeling depressed and, and if they actually go out and stop thinking about themselves, because normally that's what depression is, and you actually go out and try to help someone else, in other words, take the focus off of me and put it on D, however you want to think of it, that they put a number on it says, you know, you're, you're going to see statistically a 64% increase in, in, your, um, in your brain health. It's just amazing. So, so anyway, 16, let's read that again. Confess your trespasses to one another. That's kind of like what I was talking about before, you know. The whole thing, you can come and you can study the Bible and everything, but it's really about the fellowship part of it where you're going you're gonna to do that with other people, right? Everybody sort of gets in this little huddle all the time of their own little huddle, and maybe there's some, some weirdness going on in their family, and they think, oh, this is unique to me. And I'm here, you know, I've been on a planet a few years right now, and I, and I just can tell you that, that there's a little weirdness going on in every family, okay? So there's no reason to, like, do this, because he's telling you here, you know, get together with other people, and, you know, and, and talk through it and try to make it right. It says, uh, and then he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Okay, last week we talked about what qualifies somebody as a righteous man, right? A righteous man is not righteous on his own. He's righteous on what Christ has already done, okay? Our righteousness is, you know, imputed to us. It's, you know, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead three days later. And so because of that, God says, you know, you're right with me. You're justified before me right now because you believe that Jesus did that for you. So when it says here, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much because we've got that communication that we talked about to God. That prayer thing is opened up. He says, I like this next part, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So now he's going back. Now Elijah was a heavy-duty prophet. I mean, you know, he says it's not going to rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he says it's going to rain, and it rained. All right? But but what he's saying is, hey, Elijah was just like you and me. He was a regular guy. And if you think, if you get into the story, I don't want to go too deep into the story, but, you know, Elijah had his doubts, and, you know, I mean, he's a man just like us. So in 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. So I just, I wish I could remember everything that we learned on Saturday, there was a lot of stuff. I can just say, sort of changed my whole way of thinking about prayer. And then when I read this thing in James, like, oh my gosh, it's exactly what they have actually scientifically qualified. So kind of humbled me like, gosh, I didn't have enough faith to really know this before. I had to go see some scientific slides to prove it, you know.
Hey. Yeah, that's right. Science is always catching up with the Bible. But I'm talking about, oh, ye of little faith. You know, I'm looking at myself in perspective like, oh, man. I had to go there and listen to some scientists tell me this. I mean, some of the stuff I knew, but it just, it really kind of shined a light on it, really made me look at it in a different way. Um, It kind of explains in passion. I've talked about when I'm studying to do this, I always listen to worship music. And it's such an awesome time doing that. You know, it's like, well, yeah, duh. We got science to prove it's going to be an awesome time. So (laughs) I'd say, Study your Bible and listen to worship music and life is nice. We need to go for it. Okay. All right. So so I kind of wanted to put a little bow on the prayer thing. And I think some of it's going to be probably review for a lot of you, but it may be new for some. So prayer. If you remember back in that Philippians where it says, be anxious for nothing. But everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you know, I make your request known to God. So the the thing that, that there, what's the difference between prayer and supplication? You know, what's the difference between those two? And so I thought I'd just break that down and we can take a look at that. Prayer is a kind of a general word for request to God, but what it does include is uh, adoration, you know, God, you're great. Uh, you know, you know, I'm devoted to you, God, and uh, worship, and so that's that's part of prayer. But supplication is basically uh, expressing our needs and problems. That's kind of wooden. I was I was thinking after I wrote that, I was thinking about it on the way over here. Probably the best way to think of supplication is we're just asking God to supply for our needs. You know, and that could be you know material, or it could be are, we're asking God for help. You know, God, I need help in this, or I need help for someone else in this. And so so that's what Paul's saying. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, uh, make your needs known to God. And so then there's this little acronym thing, acrostic, whatever you want to think. It, it, it's ACTS. It's a guide to prayer. So it's just a way that, when you get ready to pray, instead of it turning into like the shopping list, you know, we could actually, which oftentimes it does, and uh, uh, basically, it, it, Acts stands for four words. And so the first one is uh, adoration. And there's, uh, adoration is one, uh, the first one. So that's just, God, I adore you. You're awesome. You're mighty. Uh, the second one is confession. And I got First John 1, 9, feeling fine. That's a good verse to commit to memory, actually. First John 1, 9, feeling fine. Uh, basically, that's what restores your relationship with God. Because when you confess something to God, I've talked about this before, you're not telling God something he doesn't already know. He knows everything. What you're doing is you're telling him uh, you're in agreement with something he already knows. And when you do that, when you confess your sins to him, then you're restoring that relationship uh, with him. And so that, uh, you know, just like a, a relationship between uh, me and anybody else in this room, 
you know, if I've got something, if there's something going on between us, uh, then if I don't go to you and say, you know, yeah, you know, I, I always say I shouldn't have given you a black eye, right? I don't need to tell you that. You already know that, right? But, but you know what I'm saying? And so it, I have to confess to you, you know, I know I shouldn't have done that. You already know that, right? Well, God already knows, uh, you know, the sins that we committed. But when, when I go to you and I say I shouldn't have done that, kind of breaks down that barrier between us. And so the same thing with God. So so you you just tell God how great he is. You confess your sins to him. Uh, third one is thanksgiving. Uh, you know, thank God for everything he's done for you. I mean, especially here. Uh, my mind just goes back, way back when I was traveling all over the world in the third world countries. And uh, in terms of material things, it's just unbelievable what we have here. Just unbelievable. Uh, so we can thank God for just everything, for salvation, so many things. And then the last on the list is actually that supplication thing. You know, hey, God, I, here's my list. So that's just kind of a guide, something that you could uh, put in your back pocket. It's kind of an easy, even I can remember that one. So, so, so remember she was concerned, back to Genesis, uh, she was concerned about, her pregnancy, and so she went to pray to God to get us back where we're at. She prayed to God, and she said, and and 23, he answers, and he says, And the Lord said to her, uh, Two nations are in your womb. Uh, two peoples shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other, uh, and the older shall serve the younger. Okay, this is going to cause problems later on. We're talking about some family drama here in this in uh, Isaac's family, we're going to have drama. So uh, we're not going to see a whole lot of it this week, but it's going to come to light next week. So that's why I'm kind of bringing up the whole family stuff. Like, I mean, this family problems are just go back to goes back to Adam and Eve, actually. So when her days were fulfilled, uh, verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her in her womb. And the first came out, Red, he was like a hairy, he was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. So Esau means hairy. And afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took a hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. So Jacob actually means uh, uh, heel holder. Imagine that, or supplanter. So heel holder is pretty obvious, but supplanter is really kind of it could be either one. And so, number five, uh, Jacob equals heel holder or supplanter. A supplanter is a person who trips someone up in order to take their place. Okay? So, kind of an interesting uh, name for Jacob. Uh, and when we get into Jacob's life, he was, eh, he was, uh, he was ready to take advantage of any situation. Let me put it that way. So, and it says Isaac was 60 years old uh, uh, when when she bore them. So again, you know, they were married for 20 years. Remember we talked about patience. We had that same thing happen in Abraham's life. I mean, they had to wait a long time, right? What they waited, what, 25 years, right? 
Yeah, 75 he found out, and at 100 he was born. So, yeah, that's a long time. So, anyway, patience. God wants to have patience. So, 27, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, I mean, here we go. I mean, I know the story. I've read it a few times. But you don't have to even know the rest of the story to know that we got potential here for some pretty significant family problems. You got, uh, you know, kind of like the captain of the football team and the captain of the chess team are brothers. And, uh, you know, and then you got mom and dad. Isaac, he loves Esau. You know, because he had awesome barbecue, you know. I mean, he would go out and kill stuff and they'd have barbecues and it was a good deal. You know, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Jacob was like hanging back in the tents. And so you got this thing where the parents are obviously showing favorites uh, to different uh, siblings. So it's a perfect setup for a problem. Uh, now in verse 29 it says now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary and Esau said to Jacob uh, please feed me with that same red stew for I'm weary therefore his name was called Edom so Edom means red I mean I mean, Esau was red when he came out of the womb, and uh, and now he's eating red stew. So Edom means red. And Edom, we're going to see, Esau, that was the name of a country, uh, or a, uh, what would you call it, a kingdom or something. Uh, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. So right now, uh, Jacob is kind of, taking advantage of the situation. He's going to live up to his name. He's got his brother there showing up and his brother's like kind of in the moment kind of guy and he's really hungry and, uh, you know, uh, he's, uh, and he says, you know what? Hey, sell me your birthright. And, uh, and Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? I mean, is he going to die? Really? I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, Abraham had, was kind of a got bucks kind of guy. He had a lot of stuff, big herds, he had, you know, had so much stuff, and he gave all that to uh, Isaac. So there's no way they were hurting for food in their house. It was just him coming in, and there was nothing prepared, like in his mom's kitchen or something. Here's, you know, uh, Jacob's over here cooking some lentil soup, and so he's kind of exaggerating. He's not really going to die. It says, then Jacob said, Swear to me of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And and Jacob gave Esau the bread and the stew of lentils. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And so this whole idea of a birthright, uh, uh, it's the, it basically what it boiled down to is it usually went to the firstborn. Okay, so technically it should have went to uh, 
Esau because he came out first. Uh, so it's a double inheritance. So if they're going to split things up, the oldest one would get, you know, if they divided everything up equally, basically he would get a double portion. Uh, but then also there was uh, the easy way I remember it. He was the the prince and the priest of the family. Uh, so you get a double inheritance. Uh, you're the pr- prince. In other words, he would be the head of the family because they, they have these big clans and he would be in charge and he'd have to make sure that, you know, that uh, if, you know, if his dad died he'd be, and his mom was still alive, he'd be in charge making sure he was taken care of. Uh, any kids, uh, just he was in charge of taking care of the whole family. So there was uh, responsibility, you know, associated with this uh, birthright. And then there was the uh, part about uh, being the priest, and which would mean he was kind of like the spiritual head of the family. Well, Esau, he just didn't go in for that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's it's not like really Jacob really tricked him. He just kind of put it in front of him. And, and like it says here, Esau despised his birthright. He just didn't care about it. I mean, to him, a single portion of everything he had was fine. And besides, if he didn't have that, he could go out and hunt and get whatever he wanted anyway. So he's just that kind of guy. And so um, basically, though, you're going to see it's going to come back because later on he's going to kind of regret it. But at this point in time, you know, uh, Jacob kind of convinces him, hey, sell me your birthright. And it, was a, it wasn't uncommon for something like that to happen. Uh, but I think it, typically it might have went for more than a bowl of lentil soup. I mean, I don't know. I would hope so. Uh, so. Now, chapter 26, it says there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac uh, went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Okay, remember Abimelech? This guy's been around. Uh, It's possible it's not actually the same guy because Abimelech could also be a title for a king. But, you know, the same commanders with him. So in this story. So anyway, I just you got a handout here, and you can see uh, that uh, Beer Lahoy Roy is where uh, Isaac started out. It's a southern circle on that map. And you can see where he moved then to uh, Gerar, which is about 75 miles uh, northeast. Uh, and some of these other names that are on there, you will hear them mentioned. Uh, so, and... 26 starting at verse 2 it says then the Lord appeared to him uh, and said do not go down to Egypt live in the land which I shall tell you okay it's kind of a family thing here and you're going to see some stuff some reoccurring things in Isaac's life the same thing that happened in in Abraham's life I mean he makes kind of the same decisions and uh, that's really not that uncommon really I mean I've seen that in my own kids uh, much to my chagrin sometimes but uh uh, so he, God intervenes and he tells, uh, you know, Isaac, hey, don't go down to Egypt. Just stay here and I'm going to take care of everything for you. So he says, uh, dwell in it, verse 3, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. So you, you need to put a mental note on that. God promises to be with Isaac and to bless him. Uh to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. So 
Number six, God promises to bless Isaac. Uh, Genesis 26, starting at verse four, it says, I will make your descent. I'll make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Last week, remember uh, commandments, statutes, and laws? Remember we talked about this, that that, uh, all that came after Abraham. Remember there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then Moses, and then you got the law. And then Paul used that to kind of describe grace and how Abraham didn't need the law because Abraham believed God and he accounted to him as righteousness, right? So it's like, whoa, where are these commandments, statutes, and laws coming from? Because like we talked last week, Abraham was before the law of Moses. And uh, Romans 4.3, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, for righteousness. So how did he get them? The short answer, I have no idea, okay? But <laughs> but in Genesis 127, uh, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's a certain amount of uh, God stuff that's baked into us. We're created in God's image. This idea of what's right and what's wrong, that comes from God. I mean, it's like... I've said this before, I never had to teach my kids to say, that's not fair. They just know that, okay? So there's a certain amount of stuff that's kind of baked in because we're made in the image of God. That's why I instituted capital punishment is because it doesn't matter if you believe in him or not, that if, if someone murders someone else, God says, you know, that life is value to me because it's made in my image. And so whoever does that needs to pay the price. Okay, that's why he established human government. So the next one that I came up with in Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. Now, this is in context. Uh, Jeremiah is talking to Israel about how it's going to be in the end times. Okay, and so in the end times, it says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So I'm thinking, okay, God is God. He created the universe. If he wanted to do this on Abraham's heart before the law, he certainly could do it before the law. You see where I'm coming from? I don't actually know how it happened, but there's uh, several possibilities. Uh, The last one is in Titus. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Okay, we know we're saved by grace, right? Okay, and but here in verse 12, what is grace doing? It's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So it goes to the same thing. I mean, Paul talked about, he used Abraham's 
uh, life and how Abraham believed God before the law. He used that as an example of grace, of God's grace. So it's possible that he could have put, just give, given Abraham that exact same grace. So here again, I don't know exactly why, uh, uh, you know, it says, you know, because Abraham followed his commandments, statutes, and laws. I don't know where that came from because it's definitely before Moses. But uh, there's three possibilities. You know what? That's one of those when we get to heaven. We'll find out. But might not even care then. <laughs> so, so, so Isaac dwelled in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his, about his wife. And he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought, lest these men of the place kill me for, for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, uh, looked through a window and saw there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. How could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. Like father, like son, right? I mean, it's the exact same thing that Abraham did. And, you know, uh, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> it just doesn't surprise me. Uh, anybody that's had kids and grandkids and you you hear your kids saying the exact same things that you said, it's like, oh, could I get some of those words back, you know? Uh, and And then actually, and then doing, following the exact same, making the exact same types of decisions. That's the scary part. And so that's exactly what's going on here. You know, think about that like father, like son. Have you ever heard that used in a good context? <laughs> no. It's like when the kid screws up, yeah, like father, like son. It's like they're doing something good. You never hear that. But anyway, we should change that. So anyway, Isaac kind of makes the same mistake. And Abimelech said, what is it you've done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all of the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. I'd say they had a little bit higher moral code than we do right now. So starting in verse 12 now, it says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. So, hey, you notice here, he sowed. So he's expanding the family business here because before they were pretty much nomadic, you know, sheep herders, you know, they had uh, sheep and uh, oxen and stuff like that. He says, and then here's the next part. Uh, then he began to prosper. I mean, he was already like rich just from the stuff that his dad gave him. And he continued prospering. And he became very prosperous. So Isaac was, uh, he's out there. I mean, he's ultra successful. I mean, can you imagine a hundredfold increase in your crop? A hundredfold? 
It says, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. And guess what? The Philistines envied him. So for uh, number seven, uh, God keeps his promise and blesses Isaac. So why is that important? God promised Isaac and, and then he follows through on the promise. Why is that important to us? Why? Yeah, God is faithful and God makes promises. And so you know that the promises that he's made, whatever promise that he's made to you in your mind from your study of the word and knowing who God is, he's going to keep that promise. Now, we know from seeing with uh, Abraham and there's other stories in the Bible, it doesn't always happen when we think it's going to happen. But God keeps his promises. You can count on that. So, verse 15 now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which, is, wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they filled them with the earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Abimelech's telling me, you got to get out of here, man. you got too much stuff. You're gonna, he's afraid they're going to overtake him. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names uh, which his father had called them. Verse 19, also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and they found, found a, a well of running water there. So we're talking about a spring now. So they, they dug and now they got water bubbling out of the ground. I mean, we're talking about if you want to have the perfect well, this is the perfect well. Uh, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek. And if you look on the map, there's a place called that. Uh, because they quarreled with him and they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. Uh, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So here again, it's kind of following in his dad's footsteps here, because technically God had given them the land. But you know what? People are saying, oh, that's our well. Okay, whatever. Take the well. Goes and digs another way. Hey, that's our well. Okay, whatever. Take the well. So finally he gets to a spot. All right. Verse 23, it says, Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him uh, the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there, and called on the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Azuha, one of his friends, and Phicol. Here, there's that Phicol guy. He comes back, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and you sent me away from you? It's like, hey. Verse 28, but they said, we certainly seen uh, that that the Lord is with you. So we said, uh, let us 
let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank, and they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug, and he said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And there was grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. So the Hittites uh, worshipped other gods. All right? So this is a major concern for Isaac and uh, Rebekah. If you remember when Abraham sent Eliezer to find a wife for Isaac, he sent him out of the area back to his homeland uh, because he didn't want him to marry into the pagan religion. And so what does Esau do? He he uh, he goes and, you know, marries these uh, Hittites. And it's actually kind of timeless truth because this very topic is uh, covered in uh, the New Testament. Second uh, Corinthians uh, 6 talks about, it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So uh, this actually, just in general, it applies to marriage, but it, it really applies to uh, uh, basically any situation where you're going to enter into so like a serious kind of a relationship with someone. So verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? That's just another name for Satan. Uh, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Uh, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So number eight there says, don't enter into a life-changing relationship with an unbeliever. And so I... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it means, yeah, well, we're going to, I'm going to show you here. If you look at this slide, I tried to visualize what it's like. He uses oxen. He uses oxen as a, as a, like a, you know, a, a, a word picture. So if you get, you know, like a, a big one and a little one together, uh, they don't work too good. It just doesn't work. So if you look here, it says you can see that you have, if you have a believer and a non-believer, if you look at the slide up there, uh, basically, you know, they're connected together. But since we, as a believer, as you mature in Christ and you grow, grow closer to God, and then something's going to break, either connection to the non-believer 
or your connection with God because, uh, you know, the non-believer could actually draw you back or as you move closer to God, there's going to be friction. It's just going to be, there's going to be a problem because uh, you, uh, there's a completely different value system between uh, a believer and the world. The, the two just don't work well together. I'm not saying you should never you know, associate with non-believers. I mean, you have to do that. But you wouldn't enter into like what I would call a life-changing relationship like marriage or a business or something like that. Uh, and so if you look at the second part of this, and, and maybe it's easier to see when you got the two two believers that are together and, you know, you can see they're both connected to God. And as as these believers here grow closer to God, they grow closer together too. So it's very good for uh, a marriage relationship. It's actually a good analogy for uh, even a church family as we all get that common ground like we talked about earlier. And we all are, God is the focal point. As we move closer to God, we move closer together. So you have that uh, more fellowship. But it's kind of hard if we're doing everything in 140 characters, uh, you know, in a text message, it's kind of difficult. But, yeah, so you can see here, uh, this here graphically is not going to work. Something's going to break here. Either this is going to break or that's going to break. Where here, you, you're built on a solid triangle with God as the, as the arbitrator. And, and in a marriage situation, especially there, uh, if you read how God has marriage set up, uh, he has some definite ground rules. And so if everybody's in agreement on that, right, you're both believers, God is God and I'm not, and God says this is how a marriage should operate, now you have a basis to where, you know, well, what, is, what does God say? How, how should this marriage be? You know, and it's basically, we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, you know, that, you know, that wives need to respect their husbands and, and, uh, and, uh, Husbands need to love their wives like Christ loved the church. So, you know, if, if, if that is actually happening, as the most of the onuses that goes on the man, I think, you know, things are going bad in the relationship. I'd say nine times out of ten is because the husband isn't doing that. Uh, unless there's something. I mean, if you're doing that and your wife is still not respecting you, I don't know. Common sense says if you're treating somebody really, really good, it's pretty hard for them to, you know, come back out against you. So, but anyway, it's timeless truth. I mean, uh, they were, you know, Abraham, he was insistent. He didn't, he wouldn't let Isaac, uh, he's don't even take him with you. You know, in other words, if he, he needs to stay here in the land. And so same thing here. Um, Isaac and, uh, Rebecca are, they're upset and rightfully so that their son, went out and married two Hittite women. So uh, so the, the the main thing I think tonight uh, that, I, that I got out of it anyway, and hopefully you guys too, is the prayer part. Uh, prayer is just so, so important. Uh, the things you think about, you know, Philippians chapter 4, I always call that the mental health chapter. Uh, if you look in there, it tells you the things to think about and default what it does. It says everything you should think about and the major thing that's left out is bad things. In other words, just don't think about bad things. You have a choice between what you're gonna, what you can think about, and uh, sometimes that's difficult. I know. Trust me. 
Uh, I know that. But uh, when the God of the universe tells you that, you know, hey, maybe we should listen. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for um, uh, the stories that we can read about uh, Isaac and Rebecca. And, and uh, Lord, just uh, how they interacted with you. And Lord, we just thank you for who you are and that we can come to you and pray and that uh, you have uh, uh, the best plan for our lives. And I just pray that we would just know that you're God and we're not and that we would... Uh, be obedient to you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.